Today on Everyday Injustice, we have two of my favorite people. We have Bill Bostic from It Could Happen to You and Jeffrey Deskovic, uh, who wears a ton of hats, but uh, he's with the Jeffrey Deskovic Foundation. So welcome to the show, both of you. Thank you very much. And uh, just quickly mentioning, uh, one of those extra hats is also an advisory board member of It Could Happen to You. And I do want to give a shout out to an organization near and dear to your heart, as well as mine, David, uh, Restorative Justice International, which I also serve as their uh, a, glo uh, a global advisory um, council person. So I actually wanted to start um, by going into both of your backgrounds a little bit, because you guys have... Uh, probably two of the more interesting histories. Um, so I'm hoping kind of briefly, uh, each of you could kind of tell your story and how you got to this point, and then we can talk about what we're doing now. Well, uh, since I introduced myself to Jeff, um, uh, I got started on, on this, uh, in, in this, uh, area of criminal justice reform uh, somewhat un unexpectedly. I had been in public policy and uh, for about 40 years, uh, worked for the New York State Legislature, was working, uh, had done some health care uh, reform work, some work in the area of um, environmental reform, and uh, had the opportunity to serve in the Monroe County Legislature up here in upstate New York, and also on, on my town board uh, after that, the Renequay Town Board. And in uh, 2008, I got a call from the Monroe County Sheriff's Department. They wanted me to help them uh, with a case that they were looking into. I, I agreed to meet with them. I, I had no problems with uh, working with law enforcement. And to cut to the chase, uh, which they did not do uh, during our discussion, but uh, about 40 minutes into our discussion, um, they told me that a 16-year-old girl had accused me of raping her in a shed. Uh, from that point on, I, uh, next day I retained a lawyer. He lawyered me up, and he basically told me, here's what's going to happen to you. You're going to... Uh, be indicted. Well, you're going to be arrested. You're going to be indicted. You're going to go to trial, and I'm going to have to fight like hell to keep you out of prison for the next 20 years. And I said, well, how can that be? You know nothing uh, about this case, about this, the, these allegations. And he said, because that's the way the system works. You are guilty until proven innocent. So don't believe you're innocent until proven guilty. Uh, it took me a year to get to trial, just as he had predicted. It cost my wife and I $150,000 in, um, in our retirement savings. And uh, in May of 2009, after I was acquitted, uh, I decided that uh, what happened to me uh, happens to a lot of other people. And my defense attorney told me that one day in court. And I decided that I would take what I knew about um, bringing about public policy reform and zero in on criminal justice reform. 
And I quickly uh, and I quickly learned too that uh, in the halls of Albany, New York, there had not been a lot of serious subst uh, substantive criminal justice reform for about 15, 20 years. I'm talking about areas of uh, like uh, discovery and bail reform, videotaping. And all that was, was a very slowly moving process. And the reason why was twofold. One is the District Attorneys Association of the state of New York ruled with an iron thumb, uh, basically dictated to the assembly members and to the state senators what legislation would be passed relating to law enforcement and criminal justice and what would not be. And if they exceeded their uh, threshold, then they would get threatened by the DAs in terms of uh, not getting endorsed when they're in for re-election. I also came to realize that, and Jeff and I both came to realize this, was that the average Joe on the street does not understand criminal justice. Uh, and that basically the only people advocating for criminal justice reform were the uh, criminal defense um, community, mainly public defenders and private sector criminal defense lawyers. What we did was we built a broad, diverse coalition that it brought in, uh, with Jeff's assistance, the exonerees, uh, those who have been wrongfully, uh, who were wrongfully convicted, the wrongfully prosecuted, such as myself, uh, unions, teachers, the faith community, and built this non-traditional coalition that the senators and the assemblymen started to hear about and, and hear from, much to the chagrin of the uh, prosecutors. The result of that was uh, the passage in uh, June of 2018 uh, of the New York legislation establishing the New York State Commission on Prosecutorial Conduct. This is the first commission in the nation. Um, we hope it'll be in place in the coming year. There are some structural changes that are being made to the legislation in the form of amendments. Uh, but uh, prosecutors need to be held accountable too, not only police officers. And that's our point. Uh, we are really the only national coalition that zeroes in on what we call a new culture of accountability in criminal justice, establishing consequences for prosecutors when they break their own rules, giving the public a place to go to file a complaint against prosecutors. And we are now uh, on the verge of initiating or have initiated a campaign in the state of California to establish the California Commission on Prosecutorial Conduct which will be the focus, uh, one of the primary focuses of a virtual summit uh, that we'll be doing October 9th uh, from 6 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. California time. Uh, Jeff will both be active participants on that, um, virtual summit. Uh, it's open to anybody, not just folks from the state of California, anybody across the country uh, can join in that summit. 
And uh, I'll talk more about the details of that later, but uh, there will be a panel on prosecutorial misconduct in the state of California, and there will be a panel on um, uh, um, bringing to an end uh, uh, deaths uh, by execution in the state of California. And those are two of the more important panels, as well as a panel on raising the age for incarceration, for youth incarceration uh, with adults. And uh, State Senator Nancy Skinner uh, will be on that uh, panel. And we'll have other California exonerees, such as Jamel Trulove and Gloria Killian. Uh, with that, uh, turn it over to Jeff. I knew sure, if so. I asked him one question, he'd jump on to questions two, three, and four as well. Uh, so uh, let's go back and have Jeff kind of introduce his background too. Yeah, so in a nutshell, um, so I'm the, I'm a criminal justice advocate. I'm the founder of the Jeffrey Deskovic Foundation for Justice. And, you know, our goal is to exonerate the wrongfully convicted, uh, which we've freed seven people, and also pursue policy changes. So really quickly, we were able to um, pass laws in New York pertaining to identification reform, videotaping interrogations, and DNA database expansion. Um, you know, I uh, joined the advisory uh, board uh, of It Could Happen to You shortly after Bill formed uh, the organization. We've been working together ever since. It's been a really long time. And, you know, the foundation now, for the most part, does all of its policy work through the coalition. And we found that to be more effective than the uh, go it alone approach, which is what a lot of the organizations, including us, um, did previously. Uh, I do have a master's degree uh, from John Jay College. My thesis was written on wrongful conviction, cause, and reform. And I have a law degree also from the Elizabeth Hobbs School of Law at Pace University, where I graduated uh, May 2019. So I'm pending admission to the bar right now. Um, I do a lot of different advocacy from media interviews to um, uh, writing. I have a lot of op-eds and individual articles from when I was, when I was a columnist. Uh, just speaking engagements, I regularly meet with the elected officials. Uh, and then as an individual, I also endorse in political races. But I come to all of this advocacy work and, you know, even the uh, advisory work I do with um, Restorative Justice um, International, uh, because like Bill, uh, I'm uh, with what's termed the first person advocate. So meaning that uh, I was wrongfully imprisoned myself. Uh, I served 16 years in prison. Uh, I was 16 when I was arrested. Uh, I I turned 17 by the time the trial roll, uh, got started, uh, which I was uh, wrongfully convicted of a murder and rape. Uh, I served 16 years in prison prior to being exonerated uh, 14 years ago through DNA testing, which not only exonerated me, but also identified the actual perpetrator. You know, and my life's dedicated now to fighting wrongful conviction and also broader criminal justice um, reform. Very good. Um so Bill had already mentioned kind of starting the Prosecutorial Misconduct Commission in New York. Um, maybe you guys can talk a little bit more about what that does, why we need such a thing, and why you guys are considering uh, bringing it to California. Well, let me just quickly say that prosecutorial misconduct was a factor in my wrongful conviction. 
Uh, it's a, uh, there's many causes of wrongful conviction in general. Uh, one factor that runs through all of them is, you know, whether it's uh, a conviction is caused by, by a coerced false confession or misidentification or a lying informant. Uh, the one cause that runs through all of those uh, is frequently prosecutorial misconduct. So the, there is no oversight for prosecutors now. They, uh, except for California, where it's an e-felony, um, withholding exculpatory evidence is not a crime. They're shielded from civil liability they, by this doctrine called prosecutorial immunity, which means it doesn't matter how serious the misconduct is, you can't sue them in court. Uh, I tried to do that anyway, and my, that part of my uh, federal lawsuit was, was dismissed. Uh, they had no oversight from the Bar Association or the Grievance Committee. They were totally ineffective. Uh, out of all the wrongful convictions, my case and many others, you know, prosecutors were never called to account. So we saw a need to have an oversight vehicle. Uh, and uh, its importance is because there was no oversight, so they were running wild. Uh, the commission, in terms structurally, and I'll yield the floor in a minute for Bill to jump in, but some of the key features of the commission is that uh, anybody can file a complaint, that the complaints are anonymous, that the commission can take up a matter on its own. And that's very also, and that's important because a lot of defense lawyers don't weren't filing complaints because they were worried about retaliation against them and against their future clients in the form of not getting plea bargain agreements and that they otherwise would have extended to them. And they knew that nothing was going to happen anyway. So my lawyer told me when I wanted to file a complaint against the prosecutor, he told me that it would be a waste of time and money. So I never got any type of justice. So there's that. It investigates. It has subpoena power, uh, you know, and they have an expertise. So, I mean, as Bill often says, you know, grievance committees and the Bar Association, they're really there more for stuff like lawyers commingling funds and misconduct by non-prosecutorial uh, lawyers. So that's what the, that's what the uh, need for it uh, is. And uh, I'll yield the floor to Bill. Well, um, on September 1st, the National Registry on, of Exonerations issued a report. And this is out of the um, University of Michigan Law School. And since 1989, uh, uh, up until this point in time, there have been over 2,400 recorded wrongful convictions. What their study found, this was a very, very detailed study. I've got a copy of it. It's about 300 pages. But, but in summary, what they found was that in those 2,400 cases, there were approximately 34% were due to police misconduct. And another 30% due to prosecutorial misconduct. And probably another five to 10% involved joint police and prosecutorial misconduct. That's them working together uh, to make sure uh, that they have their uh, house in order to get the conviction they so desire. There's two very scary facts in that. Uh, one is that 93 of those, and 93 of those cases, those individuals were on death row. 
and their convictions were overturned shortly before they were executed. They were wrong. They were they were wrongfully convicted, and they could have wrongfully been executed. The second point is that in only four percent of those cases involving 34% prosecutorial misconduct. In only 4% of those cases were any, was any punishment given or extolled on any of the prosecutors involved. And in those, and those were very mild sanctions. In fact, three of those prosecutors were simply disbarred. In the absence of consequences for prosecutors who break their own rules, and in the absence of any oversight, given the fact that the prosecutor's goal is to win at all causes in many DA offices, there's no disincentive for them not to cheat. There's no disincentive for them not to withhold evidence. There's no disincentive for them not to lie to the jury in opening and closing statements. There's no incentive for them to basically get a witness to lie on the stand. In every other profession that we know of, a banker, a real estate agent, a doctor, there's oversight. There's oversight to ensure that those professionals are not breaking their professional codes of conduct. The most powerful people in the criminal justice system, the prosecutors, have no oversight. I'll tell you, if I get a chance to come back in the second life, I want to come back as a prosecutor because I can do anything I want. All right. So <clears throat> we not only see this though as a body that will investigate true prosecutorial misconduct, but it will serve as a deterrent against prosecutorial misconduct and thus help prevent wrongful prosecutions, wrongful convictions. And the commission, by the way, is modeled on the New York State Commission on Judicial Conduct. It's been in place for 40 years. And one of the arguments that we were able to make to the legislators, um, and one of the common sense arguments we were able to make, uh, is that if there's an oversight body for judges, why shouldn't there be an oversight body for prosecutors? And uh, so, our mission over the course of the next uh, five years is really to establish a state commission on prosecutorial conduct in every state in the nation. Uh, New York State was one of the first states to establish the Commission on Judicial Conduct, and now most states have some form of oversight to monitor the conduct of judges. And we see that same trend taking place. So in terms of California, just, you know, wrongful conviction is a national problem and prosecutorial misconduct 
is an is a natural problem. So even though Bill and I don't live in California, for example, we're not any less concerned about prosecutorial misconduct in California or in any of the other um, states in the country. And hence our foray, you know, into uh, in, into California as well as uh, you know Pennsylvania. And you know we'll be expanding in, into other states in 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 the future. In fact, Jeff, um, picking up on that. Uh, Yes, we're going to be working on establishing a commission in the state of Pennsylvania, and uh, we are laying the groundwork too for uh, to establish grassroots campaigns. Hopefully, beginning in January, if not before the end of the year, in the state of Washington and in the state of Oregon. So we'll really have a Pacific uh, Coast campaign going. And I think, you know, it, it's important for people to understand, especially out here in California, you know, this is a problem uh, that is pretty deep out here. So uh, now this, this report is a decade old now, but I don't think anything's changed. Our friend Maurice Posley in 2010, uh, working with the Innocence Project up in Santa Clara, came out with a report and they examined 707 cases over an 11 year period. And they found that only six prosecutors uh, were, were disciplined out of those 707 cases that found prosecutorial misconduct. And I can tell you, you know, having been uh, watching the courts over the last 10 years, I can't think of a single prosecutor that I know of uh, in the three counties that I've worked in that's been sanctioned for prosecutorial misconduct. Oh, sure, if they, they don't pay their bills or they, they embezzle money, they get hammered. But uh, for, for actual misconduct that puts people in jail, I haven't seen anything. Yeah, in, in terms of the, uh, you know, in, in terms of, uh, you know, October 9th, you know, um, you know, the, the Pathways to Culture to Accountability Summit. So the way that it could happen to you works is that, you know, we build coalitions, you know, we build coalitions. So, you know, Bill and I are common to the chapters in New York, PA, and California. The rest of the people, for the most part, are just working particularly in the state that they're from. So, you know, we, um, we, you know, we do like a, we usually do like a summit and we have other periodic events and we, you know, we, uh, that we invite you know, stakeholders too, and people to join with us. So those are, as Bill mentioned, those are those are exonerees, people falsely accused but acquitted. But also, all the criminal justice reform organizations, no matter what issue they're working on, you know, they're all invited. You know, and work in, in the coalition, individual advocates, uh, friends and family of people who allege they're wrongfully imprisoned. Uh, formerly incarcerated people and just concerned everyday citizens. So we build statewide coalitions and, and we work system, you know, systematically. And you know, we, you know, there's, there's subcommittees and we divide up the work. And so it's a really inclusive thing. So, uh, in general, concerned citizens that want to work for justice reform, I mean, unless they're going to be a volunteer at a nonprofit, uh, and their capacity for managing them is is limited. So there's not really a, a way for an average Joe. Uh, or uh, Jill to get involved, but our coalition model offers a way for you know people just ordinary everyday people, no particular skills, can join our coalition and help in whichever way you know that that uh, that, that that's open to them, and that's what makes it more difficult for the elected officials to ignore us, but because we are 
statewide. We do build statewide coalitions. And, you know, even when we're meeting with the elected officials, we divide people up and say I lived in XYZ district, then I would meet the elected officials in XYZ district. And we would make sure everybody in the group that was from a particular area meets with that elected official. You know, so, so we do, we do that. And, and, uh, and it's, it, that's how we, we've been effective. And so we're taking a blueprint, which had worked in, in, in New York and we're applying it. And one of the fortunate things, you know, this is why I like working with Bill. So, you know, I can make outreach to the exoneree community and, you know, my case is an illustration and often I can help generate media and the other exonerees from that state can, you know, that's where my strength comes in and doing the, the strategize, some of the strategizing. Bill's good at strategizing also, not so much in those other areas, but what he does bring to the table is he has like an inside baseball knowledge of the inner workings of politics at a level that I simply don't have. So we really complement each other uh, very well. And that's why I like working with them. A lot of the moves that, you know, we made over the years in getting legislation passed in New York, I, I wouldn't have knew to make those moves or how to go about it. Um, so we complement each other. And that's what really being in a coalition is about. It's about working together. So I, I just want to add that we anticipate uh, beyond Senator Skinner having some other state senators and assembly uh, uh, members participating in the summit and uh, having an, a number of key legislative councils as well uh, uh, we are getting some of those confirmations, but uh, the legislative councils in the area of criminal justice reform. And one of the things that we do is work very, very closely with the councils um, because uh, they're actually uh, very much the brains behind writing the legislation, um, making sure that there's no constitutional challenges in the legislation. Uh, some of the other panel members, by the way, uh, um, David uh, will be on a media panel. Uh, we're, uh, we'll be having a panel known as the, uh, the influence and the impact of media in bringing about criminal justice reform. And in, in addition to David, we'll be having uh, Martin Yant, who was an award-winning uh, journalist until he became a uh, private investigator. Uh, he's done a lot of work on on examining wrongful convictions. Uh, we'll be having Gary Craig from Gannett Rochester newspaper, Rochester, New York newspaper up here in New York State. Uh, Gary's an award-winning uh, criminal justice reporter on the um, eliminating executions panel, as we call it, will be uh, Amy Ralston Pova. Uh, Amy uh, is president and founder of the Can Do Foundation. Amy uh, has been advocating on behalf of prisoners seeking clemency for over 20 years. Uh, she was granted pre uh, clemency by President Clinton in uh, July, uh, on July 7th, uh, 2000. Uh, she's an award-winning journalist and a filmmaker. So we've got a very, very interesting uh, uh, panel. Uh, we have six panels, each of which will have four or five members on it. And we anticipate having a very interactive audience. Uh, there'll be the opportunity for folks to really participate. And after the summit, we want to take take these participants and uh, use that uh, to really build an army, not only in 
the state of California, I want to emphasize that this is not only <clears throat> open to those in the state of California, uh, it's open to anybody uh, interested. in uh, New York, in Florida, in Texas, who wants to look at uh, um, basically holding prosecutors accountable and other areas of criminal justice reform, please join in because you'll be able to learn about what's taking place in California. We'll be ta talking about some of the lessons that we learned here in New York uh, in the, uh, in the uh, campaign. Uh, and one of the lessons we learned is that um, you can't trust the prosecutors in terms of the arguments that they're going to make. So I want to mention that, you know, uh, you know, it could happen to you. One of the things we do is we have a Minister of Justice Award. So at the California Summit, uh, uh, San Francisco DA Chesa Boudin will be receiving the award. Of course, noting, you know, his uh, establishing the post-conviction unit and the Innocence Commission uh, within the district attorney's office and other um, criminal justice reform uh, initiatives that that he enacted, uh, fulfilling his campaign uh, promise when he ran for San Francisco DA. So you know he'll be he'll be doing that. That's one of the things that it could happen to you. You know we do in each state we give that award out. There'll be other exonerees as well. Some of them will be Gloria Killian, uh, Herman Atkins, uh, Jamal Trulove, amongst uh, other exonerees. So on each panel, we'll have at least one exoneree as well, because I think, you know, it's important to have just, you know, the statistics, you know, and people experience in the field, but then also having somebody, you know, who's been uh, wrongfully uh, convicted previously, you know, and it all kind of brings, you know, everything, uh, everything to life. Um, so um, I, I, I see Bill uh, walked away for a sec, but uh, how do people uh, sign up? How can they get involved in this? So there's a, there's an Eventbrite link, um, which uh, which I'll send to you, David, and uh, maybe you'll link, I can include that um, underneath of it. However, the technologically you, you, you do that, this technology is not my strong suit, but you know, we're looking for people to register, uh, you know, register on Eventbrite. And uh, you know we're actively promoting it on on social media, and uh, our list serves. Is there a cost? No. Uh, well, with, with our, what we're asking for is a is a, a minimum five dollar donation. Uh, folks can feel free to uh, donate more if you can't afford the five dollars, and especially if you're a student or you're on fixed income, uh, it's free. And uh, there's also the opportunity to become a sponsor uh, if you go to the link. Uh, if you're an organization that would like to, uh, uh, these campaigns are, are costly. Uh, the district attorneys, by the way, uh, doesn't cost them anything to go to Sacramento and to fight against criminal justice reform because they do it on the taxpayer's dollar. Uh, but we have travel costs, we have media costs, we have uh, printing costs, and uh, California is a very, very big state. So <laughs> this uh, will likely be a very costly campaign. And if uh, you know your union or your businessman, and you, uh, you know you want to put up a few bucks and, and become a sponsor of this uh, during the uh, breaks, 
and during the lunch breaks, we'll be uh, giving the sponsors the opportunity to uh, say a few words and um, also have a, a, a certificate of appreciation that we'll be presenting them. There's a $250 sponsor level and there's a $500 sponsor level. So what time does this uh, conference run from? It'll begin, uh, uh, the, the conference actually begins at 9 a.m. Pacific time, okay? And we'll end at 3.30 p.m. Pacific time. But what we'd like to do also is from eight to nine, uh, folks can uh, get on the Zoom link, uh, get on the webinar link and uh, talk to one another. Uh, we'll just have some, uh, basically some virtual networking over our own coffee in our home offices or, or at home and let people get to know one another a bit. Uh, we'll have the exonerees on. Uh, hopefully, and uh, get to know them and let them tell their stories a little bit. Uh, so, so if if you know you can tune in at eight a.m., I'm going to uh, Rochester. Um, Jeff's generally up at uh, three a.m. Sometimes he doesn't go to bed at night. So, uh, uh, I do have it because around the clock. Uh, but Bill, what I would like you uh, could you um. Uh, just for the benefit of people watching that are going to tune in from a state other than California. Uh, so could you just state the start time, for example, in Eastern Standard Time, like on our time in, in New York? Could you start state the start and end time? The, the start time in um, New York mm -hmm. would be uh, 6 a.m. Uh, the start, uh, the start I time. I don't think that's right, but we're, we're three hours ahead of California. So if it starts at nine in California, it would start in New York at 12. Oh, excuse me. Excuse me. Thank you, Jeff. <laughs> for I like to correct you. Okay. Well, uh, well, that's good. Now I realize I don't have to get up at 5 a.m. <laughs> now, let me uh, ask you guys this. Um, so, so oh, wait, wait, so, let them state this time in Eastern Standard Time, okay. though, stop time, though, before you yeah, move yeah, to question, David. Yeah, so, so in Eastern Standard Time, We'll, we'll be starting at noon and it, it'll be concluding at approximately 6.30. Uh, in central time, uh, I, be, I, I believe we'll begin at 11 uh, uh, a.m. central. Okay, so, so for anybody out in Colorado, <laughs> for example, who wants to join in, um, Join in at, at, at 11. So, uh, no, Colorado uh, is 10. Thank Colorado. you for the correction. Yeah. Um, so, uh, for those who are probably going to be working on a Friday, um, how can they catch it later? Is it there going to be a recording of it that they yes. can? Uh, yes. Join? Yes. It'll, it'll, it'll be taped. Uh, we'll have a link to it. And uh, the agenda. Uh, is is posted on the uh, on the registration link, and it's it's probably very likely that folks may want to uh, tune in and tune out to different workshops in different areas that they have an interest in. Uh, and then one final question for you guys: 
um, which is uh, how can people get involved, get in touch with you guys in general? So if they want to be part of the prosecutorial uh, misconduct commission in California or other uh, states, how would they get involved? Well, they can uh, uh, go to uh, our website, which is it could happen to you with the numeral two dot org. So that's it could happen to you numeral two dot org. They could email me directly at it could happen at Rochester. It's R O C H E S T E R dot R R dot com. Or I'm always open to a phone call uh, at, uh, I have no problems giving out my cell phone number at 585-503-6826. Uh, and I'd be happy to discuss uh, criminal justice reform in your state or in your um, municipality. Just remember prosecutors must be held accountable too. In terms of me, the website, uh, deskovic.org, uh, D-E-S-K-O-V-I-C uh, .org. Uh, we, it Could Happen to You does have a uh, what's called the Wednesday Watch of Injustice, which comes out uh, every Wednesday. And so if somebody would like to sign up for that, they should just email Bill and he'll, he'll cause their name to be added to uh, that listserv to get that issue delivered to them to, to their email uh, every uh, Wednesday. Jeff, thanks for mentioning that. Uh, and actually, we're on our going on our 490th consecutive Wednesday watch very, very shortly. Uh, well, very good. Uh, we will post uh, the links uh, to both the Eventbrite page and it could happen to you on the YouTube video and uh, the podcast. Uh, I want to thank our guests, uh, Bill Bostick and Jeffrey Deskovic. Uh, for coming today. Uh, this has been Everyday Injustice. I'm your host, David Greenwald. Join us again next time for more tales from the injustice system. Thank you, David. We'll see you on October 9th. Looking forward, David. Always a pleasure.